All right, we vote for dogs. Raise your hand. Okay. So I guess a lot of us are allergic <laughs> to cats, huh? Okay. How about this one? Uh, March Madness or uh, the World Series? March Madness. Raise your hand. All right. World Series. Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, it's hard to decide, but you got to choose. You got to choose one or the other. No. <laughs> okay. So we mostly seem to be baseball, I mean, basketball fans here. All right, here, here's a tough one. The sermon or the special music? Now, be really careful what you say here. <laughs> Somebody's going to be unhappy. The sermon, special music. All right, all right, that's about 50-50. We're okay, Nancy. I always raise my hand for special music. How about Christmas or Easter? Christmas. Easter. Okay, doggone, it's about 50-50 again. We'll call you Creasters. Okay, how about, how about this? The story of the Mount of Transfiguration or the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? The Mount of Transfiguration. The story of Gethsemane. Okay, I would say a few more of us like Gethsemane. So both of these stories are really, really interesting. I mean, they've got what? The same three disciples. They've got Peter and James and John going with Jesus. In the first story, they go up on the mountaintop. They see the glory of Jesus where he's transfigured and there's Elijah and there's Moses. And then we've got the story of Gethsemane when he's transfigured in another way. He's transfigured by grief and by, by sorrow. And again, Peter and James and John are there. Now, this is just me. But for me, I prefer, I love the story of Gethsemane. And I do because for all the glory that comes with Jesus, the idea that Jesus might be an ethereal being and walking through this world without a care in life doesn't hit me nearly as importantly as the fact that Jesus struggles in this life, just like I do, just like we do. The Bible goes to great lengths to make, make it clear to us that Jesus is human, just like we are. It says he got hungry, like we get hungry. It says that he had times when he was thirsty. It was times when he was tired, so he needed water. He needed rest. When his best friend Lazarus died, what did he do? He wept at the grave. He cried like we do. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's facing a big decision and he's anxious, he's discouraged, and he's afraid like we often are. Now let's be clear. Jesus had a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he literally had a choice. He didn't have to stay there. He could have taken his disciples and he could have skedaddled back to Galilee. Some of his disciples actually had weapons with him. He could have commanded them to fight for him. He tells the mob that he had the choice to call down legions of angels to defend him. And he does none of that. Instead, what does he do? He makes the choice to drink the cup that God has offered him. So what's the cup? The cup is God's wrath. 
The cup is God's judgment against evil, against injustice, against sin. And I, I've never really loved the idea of God's wrath. I've never really loved this idea of God's judgment. And yet, if God is good, it, it really kind of makes sense. I mean, think about it like this. If we're in a grocery store and a father is there and this father is inebriated and there's a little child and this father starts beating on that little child, if you and I care, we're going to do something. We're not going to stand by. We're going to get some help. We're going to try to intervene in some way. It's the same way when it comes to God. God looks at this world and its brokenness and its violence and its hate and its justice, injustice. God looks at the sin and the darkness that's in our lives and something has to be done about it. That's what the wrath of God is. Here's the difference. Here's the truth about our loving God. Our loving God made the choice, however, that you and I would not have to suffer the full brunt of that judgment, but that in fact he would take it on himself in the person of his son, Jesus. And so that's what Jesus is agonizing about in the garden. There's that passage from Isaiah where it says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord caused the sin of us all to fall on him. And I've, I've used this illustration before, but, but it, it makes perfect sense. If this is us, and this book, this Bible, is the barrier. This is sin. This is, this is the sin that's in our lives. It creates a barrier between us and God. And what that verse says is that in the cross of Jesus Christ, what God does is take the burden of our sin and the burden of this world's sin that's on us, and it lays, him, lays it on Jesus. All of it on Jesus, leaving us free for new relationship with God, leaving our creation free for relationship with God again. And so Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knows that this is the Father's plan. That's what he's worried about. That's what he's distressed about. That's what he's afraid of. The Gospel of Luke says he was so upset that he was literally sweating drops like blood on the ground. And yet in this garden, Jesus chose to say yes to the will of God. And why does he do that? He does it because of prayer. Because of prayer. Lots of times we sort of downplay the importance of, of prayer. It's like we think action is more important than praying. Somehow that's not action to us. I, I like that story about the pastor, Pastor Jenkins. The pastor of this little country church, they could pay him only a very small salary. And he gets a, a call, an invitation to go to a big city church and they're going to double his pay. And, uh, you know, the people in the, in the smaller church find out about it. And so that afternoon a parishioner encounters uh, the little pat the boy who's a, the pastor's son who's riding his bike and he said how oh, well what what's what's your family deciding and the little boy said well i don't know my dad's in his study at home praying and your mom 
Well, she's upstairs packing. I mean, lots of times that's kind of how we look at prayer, right? It's like, well, it's not quite as important. And yet, prayer is such a powerful thing. We often think of prayer as um, us asking God for the things we need. And yet, if you look at the example of Jesus, particularly in this passage, we see that in this passage, prayer is about God changing us so that our desires, so that our will, so that our plan are conformed to what God wants and to what God intends. And what I love about this passage is that it shows how it happens for Jesus. I mean, do you see when he first goes to pray, he prays a very ordinary human sort of prayer, the kind of prayer that you might pray, the kind of prayer definitely I would pray. He goes and he says, my father, he says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. I mean, that, that, that's like when we've got a friend in hospice and we, we say, God, I just, I know I should go. I don't really want to go. I don't know what to say. Or there's a family, and this family has needs, and we're hesitating to get involved with this family because they, they just consume us. And Lord, I don't want to do that. I, I really don't want to get involved with them. Sometimes some of you have been asked to do things in the, in the life of the church, and you, you kind of struggle. You go, I don't, Lord, I don't really want to do this. It's a very ordinary prayer. It's a very human prayer. It's where we all kind of begin when it comes to prayer. Not what I want, I mean, not what you want, but what I want, God. And yet, as Jesus prays, he goes back two different times, something about prayer enables Jesus to change. And when he comes back, here's what he says. Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. I will do what you desire. May your will be done. We were, we were talking in Sunday school last week, adult Sunday school, about how when we were kids and you would see pictures of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember those old Sunday school pictures? You always would see a Jesus kneeling very serenely, looking up to heaven and this this light, this light from heaven beaming down on Jesus. And there is none of the anguish in that. And there is none of the struggle there. And there is none of this business of Jesus sweating like drops of blood. But I've been thinking about it this week. I actually think there's something right about those pictures. For this one moment in the story. For when Jesus said yes. When Jesus said, I'm going to do, Father, what you want me to do, that was a moment of glory equivalent to the, to the mountaintop where Jesus was transfigured. Because in that moment, the disciples and you and, and you and I get to see the truth about who Jesus is. We get to see the truth about who God is. We get to see the sacrificial love of who our Heavenly Father really is in Him. And it's all because Jesus prayed. Now, there were a lot of folks that night who didn't pray. 
You know, Peter didn't pray. John didn't pray. What were they doing? <laughs> they were sleeping. James didn't pray. The other disciples weren't even near. They weren't praying. But Matthew includes this account of Gethsemane for us, for those who would for followers of Jesus, for those who are Easter people who know the story, because Matthew wants us in our Gethsemane times to be people of prayer. And Matthew wants to encourage us through prayer then to follow in the selfless, loving way that Jesus did. Because here's the truth. If you live very long in your life, you're going to have a Gethsemane moment. You're going to have a moment where the question is, do I get involved? Do I stand up for what is good and right? Am I willing to care even if it hurts? You're going to have that kind of challenge at some point in your life, and I am as well. I've often admired so much my friend Johnny, my friends Johnny and Vicky. They found out when Vicky was expecting a child that the child to be born uh, was going to have some abnormalities. He was going to be difficult. And they, they were people of prayer. So they prayed, God, how, how are we going to handle this? God, you know, what can we do? God, will we need to, to put him in an institution? It was all sorts of things like that. They were struggling, but they prayed. And they came to a point where they said, Lord, no matter what this little child struggles with, no matter what his uh, disability may be, Lord, we're going to welcome him into our family. And so uh, Austin, little Austin was born with Down syndrome. And from day one, that, 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 that challenge, that family had challenges. Vicki had to quit her job. She was at home full-time caring for him. I can remember when, when Austin was a teenager that... Uh, he needed more than what the family could provide him. So they, they literally drove an hour and a half one way across Atlanta twice a day in order to have Austin in a special school for him. One day I said to Johnny, I said, Johnny, how, how could you do this? How could you all handle all this? And Johnny said, well, we're people who pray for number one. But he said, you know, what we discovered is as hard as it was. Austin is a joy. He is a blessing. And our lives are so much richer because he's a part of our family. See, Matthew includes this story in his gospel because he wants you and me in our Gethsemane times to be people of prayer. He wants us to get out on our knees and start where we always start. Start with our own needs, our own desires, our own wants, but then allow God to work in us. Allow God's Spirit to bring about transformation and change in us as it brought about transformation and change in Jesus. So that when we make the choice, we can make a choice for sacrifice and for love as Jesus our Lord did. I don't know what kind of Gethsemane choices you are facing in life. 
I know one or two of my own, but I know this. We can face them with serenity. We can face them with the glory of God if we are people of prayer. So let us pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.